Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Matt Tabler. Matt is the head boys basketball coach at Perry High School in Lima, Ohio. Uh, Matt and I go back a long, long ways, and, and I don't even remember when we met. And uh, he coached with my brother, and uh, our paths have overlapped in a lot of ways. Uh, but Matt's built a really solid program at Lima Perry, and I just want to get into his story and hope you enjoy hearing about Matt's journey through coaching and, and the program that he's built at, at Perry High School in Lima, Ohio. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and welcome to today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. Uh, today promises to be fun for me because uh, with a lot of these podcasts, I'll, I'll interview people or, or spend time with people that I don't know well or I know uh, surface level. And, and Matt's a little different. Matt and I go back a long, long ways. I don't uh, I don't know that either of us can remember exactly when we met, but our coaching paths have crossed uh, in a lot of different ways over time. And uh, Matt's journey in coaching is a very interesting story. But the long and short of it for me is he's ended up uh, as the head basketball coach at, at Perry High School in Lima, Ohio. Uh, and now build a very, very good program. And I'm looking forward to spending some time with Matt talking about his journey, talking about his background, and getting into uh, his coaching philosophy, coaching style, and, and the things that he does at Perry. So with no further ado, Matt, how are we doing today? Doing well, Cookie. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is, I think, going to be a fun time. I've, I've got a chance to listen to a few of uh, actually a lot of your podcast and you're doing a great job so it's kind of an honor to be here and uh, spend a little time with you well i i'm looking forward to it and i i kind of promised myself when i started the podcast i didn't want it to just be lima um and just be northwest ohio but at the same time it's where i'm from it's the people i know and and i'm really really biased in terms of the quality of not only basketball programs that we have in ohio but in northwest ohio but people leading those programs. I think we've just got exceptionally good high-level coaches who are really, really good people uh, leading our young men and our young women across this part of the state. So there will always be a part of this podcast that is dedicated to guys right in this area, and I'm I'm actually glad to have you on. But I I do want to talk a little bit about growing up in in Northwest Ohio. You're you're a Northwest Ohio guy born and raised, and, and most of your life spent here around the game of basketball, but talk a little bit, if you would, about your background growing up and and your playing career as a high school player before you chose to go into coaching. Well, you know, uh, sports has always been a big part of our family. I come from a big Catholic family. I have uh, four brothers and sisters, and uh, dad always had us playing sports, and I was the fourth, so you know, you get later down the road, uh, you're exposed to a lot more when you got brothers and sisters playing sports that are older than you. So I had an opportunity, just kind of grew up in the Catholic community all my life. And it was a little different when I was um, six or seven years old, um, 10 years older than me. And she was a varsity cheerleader for Lima Central Catholic. Um, so I got to go to all the games at a very young age because obviously mom and dad were there, or at least mom was there to support my sister cheerleading. And, and so we got to go to the games and uh, LCC had some really good teams back in the um like 82 83 84 era and that's when my sister was cheering it was kind of cool because all those guys that i watched on the basketball floor then would come over to my sister's house after and they would you know all get together um you know the likes of bruce hodges bobby jefferson um scott gross uh, bill tafflinger i mean a lot of great names from one central catholic so i was exposed at an early age and and i just thought it was always cool um that those guys 
um, were just like down to earth people, but they were like superstars, especially from a six or seven year old standpoint of watching those guys. And I always felt like that was something I wanted to do. So, you know, I always played basketball um, growing up just because, like I said, the exposure to it with dad and, and having us um, just shoot around and, but seeing that really kind of changed my tune. And then I think it was when I was about the sixth grade, um, it was 1989 and uh, Lima Central Catholic made their first final four. And I remember the first game we sat up in the nosebleeds and, and, and my brother came in from college and he goes, we're scalping tickets for that final state final game. So actually got to sit right behind the scoreboard at St. John arena on one of those corners um, and watched uh, LCC get beat in a, uh, a state championship game against a very good Columbus Whirly team. So that was just kind of my exposure to basketball and just always wanting to do that. And and then um, then when we get into high school, um, we actually had a little claim to fame. Uh, our freshman year was the last year Lima Senior um, was 10, 11, 12. Um, they were going to ninth grade, and they had a Lima freshman tournament. So that was – well, West, North, South, St. Gerard, St. Charles, or, I'm sorry, um, LCC, Coldwater. And our LCC team uh, actually uh, won that last freshman tournament ever over at West Junior High. We beat uh, Lima West actually in the championship game. And then, you know, JV, we had a successful season. We were, I think, 16-4. and four. And so just kind of that's the route you played at Lima Central Catholic. As a freshman and sophomore, unless you were exceptional, you played freshman basketball, JV basketball. And then, and then our junior year. Um, and, and meanwhile, our, our varsity team as a freshman, they go to the state final four. I'm doing stats at the end of the bench. My sophomore year, we go to the state final four. Uh, I'm at the end of the bench in a uniform. Don't really get in. Don't ever get in, obviously. And then our junior year uh, was our year. We had the Mr. Basketball of Ohio, Aaron Hutchins. I backed him up. And another all-state guard that was a standout at Ohio Northern, Soleno Bodie. And so I was seventh or eighth man on that team and got an opportunity to play um, in a state championship game and unfortunately lost an eight-point lead in the last minute. And everyone knows that whole story with Youngstown St. Ursula and how they beat us in the state championship game. And that was real heartbreaking. And then, you know, senior year, uh, there wasn't much expectations for a team that won the freshman tournament, went 16-4 and four as a JV team. Our expectations were set kind of low, and I think we had like a 52 regular season game winning streak. And uh, we played the tip-off classic first game of senior year, and obviously I'm a starter at this point, the point guard on the team, and Elida beat us in the first game. And that kind of set the precedence. We kind of lost a big fan base, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we ended up going 14-8 uh, and eight that year, which was a down year after, you know, two undefeated seasons before. And, uh, but we actually made it to a district and got beat by a very good Archibald team. So, you know, that's just kind of my upbringing all the way through the grade school and, and, and high school and, and all the successes that we had. Well, and, and the Lima Central Catholic basketball tradition is not something that's got to be explained to probably most of the people that are going to listen to this podcast and to some that they'll be unfamiliar. But, you know, you, you just hit some real big memories for me, too. I'm a little bit older than you are. And that 89 uh, state final four that you mentioned, that was the first time I went to the state tournament. I was a junior. Uh, we were basically following LCC uh, and I got to go to a couple of other games during that during that day uh, of the finals and, and, and be a part of that. But then the 94 year, 
that you mentioned. My my twin brother was coaching at Upper Scioto Valley, and I had done a lot of scouting for them. They happened to be at the state uh, this, the same year, and, and uh, we played right before you guys did, in fact, and, uh-huh. and got, a, got a win. And so most of the guys wanted to go back and, and celebrate at the hotel. And myself, my brother, and he said to tell you what's up, by the way, <laughs> just spoke to him about a half hour ago. I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit about Nick here in this podcast. It's likely, but uh, he, so he stayed, I stayed and two of our players stayed to watch the game. And this is not a funny story. It is funny. It may not be to you, but it was hilarious to me at the time because I didn't know anybody involved, but there was a guy sitting beside my brother. We were like three rows off the floor. And as that lead is dwindling late, he is, he's like panicking. And he keeps saying, and he, and he introduced himself to my brother and he, and he said, Hey, hey, Cookie, you know, you know, Cappy Sports. And, and, he, and my brother's like, yeah, he goes, well, I'm Cappy. And he said, he said, underneath these bleachers is a couple of big damn boxes of state championship T-shirts that I had to take out a second mortgage <laughs> to, to, to get printed. He said, we kind of got to win this thing. And so the whole last minute is just tension filled. And literally, as as that kid from Ursuline is scoring the game winning basket, I look down at my brother and all I see is Cappy with two big boxes under his arms running up the tunnel. Like he's, he's getting out of Dodge. And I thought, oh, that's that's how bad that's got to feel on that end of it. But um, oh, yeah, unfortunately, on that, that story there, um, it was a couple of weeks later they were giving to us. So I had I had a state championship team team shirt. So they had to recycle. It was gonna either be that or in a third world country where you see a kid wearing it. But, but they had actually game to us. So. you can wash your car in it, but I the reason I really want to talk about that era is because again, for me as as an outsider looking in, the one thing I know is I invested a lot of time when I could as a high schooler going to see your your team play. We didn't play on Tuesday nights, and so most Tuesday nights, my dad and brother and I went to wherever LCC played. We watched a lot of games, and you know, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, to me, Tabes, and I'm biased, but you were kind of the quintessential LCC kid from the standpoint of you bought your role, you lived your role, you owned it, you played really hard, you were an absolute grinder, you were a really good teammate, um, and 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 you went through what I thought what I always said was true about LCC basketball for as good as they are and as quote unquote spoiled as people think they are, they, they've really weathered the tough stuff really, really well. And, and, and you did a lot of that as a player. And so you earned that starting spot as a senior. Uh, and obviously the year is difficult, but I always looked at your senior year and, and I followed you guys pretty closely and said, that was the year they were supposed to be quote unquote bad. And, and, and they got 14 or 15 wins um, that to me spoke volumes about the program that you were a part of. But did you know at that point in time that coaching was something you wanted to do, or were you there yet? Well, uh, you know, touch base a little bit about how you know you said uh, you know kind of um, buying into your role and stuff. That that was not always easy. There was a lot of tough nights, and luckily I had great parents that kept me grounded. You know, they they weren't the ones that go complain. They were the ones that say, "Work your butts off. Work your butt off." And you'll get what you deserve. Coach Sagerson knows what he's doing. And and I will say I didn't always agree with Coach Sagerson. Didn't understand that. Um, but obviously it's kind of like parenting. Parenting, you know, you don't understand what your parents are always doing until you become a parent. And that was kind of the way I, I, I earned so much more respect. And Bob Sagerson obviously is so well respected and always respected him, but always questioned some of the things that went on 
But then when you become a coach, it's all the aha moments and you understand that. So, yeah, I really did. It was a tough decision my senior year. I had obviously, um, uh, you know, Division three schools looking at me to play some basketball. Um, I really wanted to play baseball. So I had talked to Guy Neal Bluffton about playing baseball and basketball. But the other thing was, is I had three brothers and sisters that had already graduated from Miami University. And it was kind of a legacy thing. And I had to make up my mind that I want to go play college sports. And, and that was a big fear. If I didn't play college sports, would that hurt me to be a high school basketball coach? Because at that time, towards the end of my senior year, I knew I wanted to be a basketball coach. And so um, it, it, I went I went back and forth um, about what to do. But I finally chose to go to Miami University. and actually kind of got away, away from it for four years. Um, I minored in coaching. They had a minor at LC, or at uh, Miami University uh, in coaching, and Herb Sendak, uh, the legendary yeah. Miami coach, went on North Carolina State and then Arizona State. And now he's some, I think maybe Long Beach State now. No, he, um, he's uh, he's actually at Santa Clara, I think, which Santa Clara, yeah, and he was out in yeah, California, which blew me away yeah. when I saw him this winter. Yes, and so her her taught that class so I was kind of excited and obviously he was the one that recruited all the guys that got to the Sweet 16 my senior year at Miami University and um, you know Charlie Coles ended up coaching that team because he left for North Carolina State but Herb never showed up to teach the class and it was Charlie Coles and for a guy that you know sometimes didn't always look like he knew what he was doing that guy was unbelievable I learned so much in that coaching class and it was a sprint course you only took it eight weeks and it was an hour once a week but I learned so much in that eight hours and that even got me more interested and I said I really knew that this was something that I wanted to do and and then you know Charlie Charlie actually coached against Bob Sagerson when he coached at uh, Toledo Central Catholic so uh that there was a connection there and I had said something to him so he obviously knew Seg and and uh but yeah I just learned a lot and I really knew that going through Miami then that I really wanted to be a a boys basketball coach at the high school level so when you when you get to the end of your time at Miami and you're looking at pursuing coaching uh a couple of things. One is, were you touching base at all with with Seg about maybe helping you find a way to get your foot in the door somewhere or maybe coming back to help him? And did you were you concerned at all about the difficulty getting into coaching back in that time uh, when you were coming out of college without being uh, working in the schools every day? That, that, that's so funny because uh, Bob's uh, son is my best, one of my best friends, uh, Mike Segerson, and we went to uh, St. Gerard's together, Lima Central Catholic. We graduated from Miami together, and uh, we decided we were going to move to Florida. And uh, um, I was like, let me check the job front here first, and uh, there was just nothing here. So we went down to Tampa to look for jobs. Well, he finds a job, and I can't find anything, so I end up coming back to Lima and um, it was maybe three days before school started, and uh, Rick Stolle, good Lima Central Catholic name right there, um, got me a job interview over at St. Charles, and um, uh, I, I interviewed and got that position, and, and I said, you know, I really want to be a coach. I ended up being the golf coach. We won two state championships as a one of my last two years at, in the Catholic school system, and, and I assisted with baseball, and then I was a volunteer assistant, kind of just scouted for SEG that first year. Um, so I actually had one other interview, and I'm not sure, when was your last year at Ada? 
I I left Ada in nineteen in the spring of nineteen ninety nine. No, excuse me. I'm I'm sorry. I left the coaching job in the spring of ninety eight. I left the school in the spring of ninety nine. Okay. Was there a one year coach from ninety eight to ninety nine? Yes, there was. Ninety eight ninety nine year was Tony Boutwell. Okay, so I interviewed for the Ada basketball position um, in '99 because I graduated college in '99, and I'm so thankful that I never got hired because you know I thought I knew everything, <laughs> and to be an assistant as long as I was, I just picked up so much from so many coaches. So you know, it, at, at that point, it was kind of disappointing. You thinking you're ready for it, but the only person that really ever coached me was Bob Segerson. And that's a good person to only be coached by, but to mold yourself into your own coach and to be the way you want to be and not Bob Segerson, you, you had to experience other people. So that was fortunate that I didn't get that. And then I get, I got a job in the Catholic school system. So. Well, that, that, that worked out well. Now, I, I think you just said something that really struck a chord with me. And that is, I think oftentimes if we have a quote unquote mentor and we only have one, I think a lot of times it's easy to say, well, this works. It works for him. It's going to work for me. We're going to do it exactly the same way. And boy, nothing can be further from the truth as far as whether or not that's going to work for you uh, if, if that's where you go. And I, I think a lot of young coaches today don't have uh, the, the benefit of feeling like they've had a chance to really mentor underneath one or two or three guys and really learn. So would you, would you talk a little bit about some of your assistant coaching stops and where uh, you know, some things you gained, some things that really influenced you in your preparation for wanting to be a head coach? Sure. Um, after my first year there at Lima Central Catholic, um, uh, a position came open in the late uh, summer, early fall, I think even, um, that there was a position open at Lima Senior. Um, I'd never even been to a Lima senior basketball game. We scrimmaged them, but I never went to a Lima senior basketball game. I had never been there. I, I, I didn't know anything about them. I just knew that we scrimmaged them and that was about it. And so uh, I needed to try it. And I called various people. I called Bob Sayerson. I called Jim Carter. Um, I called Denny Helmick. Um, a lot of guys um, about before I went into the interview because I wanted to know more about this head basketball coach that I had no idea because he started, uh, I think my first year of college was his first year in 
And we had to go scout those teams. And that was before the day of the age where you could just switch on huddle. You had to go watch the games. And we would get in your brother's geo tracker. (laughs) (laughs) We basically ice skate to Cleveland in that thing. And I mean, story after story and the knowledge I picked up. And it wasn't just the X's and O's. It was how to treat people. And and that's what Nick was, man. He, He taught me how to treat people. You know, and it, it just it was a, they, they were eye openers. I look forward to the Friday or Saturday that we usually it was the Friday night right after practice because we didn't have league games, obviously, that we go scout. And I would just look forward to going with him and just the knowledge that, that he would just drop. It was unbelievable. So, you know, between between your brother and, and Coach Heath in that one year um, was unbelievable. And then basically Coach Heath had a. Uh, we, and we, we ended up going to the regional championship game that uh, that year. And the first year I was there, we had Sammy Viegas and Ishmael Luster and um, Brian Andrews. Um, our team was unbelievable. And Coach Heath would play 14, 15 guys. He would get everybody in the game. And, and we got beaten the regional championship by um, um, Cleveland St. Ignatius. And I remember it was on St. Patrick's Day. It was in the day, afternoon game in Toledo. And they came out and outscored us by 17 in the first four minutes. And I think we got beat by five points. Wow. Um, we just wow. could never recover from that. And they ended up going to win. They won the state championship. And, and the see coach, he's hurt because he had never made a state final four. Boy, that, that that was hard for me. And I only known him for five months. And to know that he's been to five regional championships and never got over that hump. And, and I really felt like he thought this was his last chance. Well, so, and go I, ahead. I'll tell you that the interesting thing is you talk about, and, and my brother, I think, is he, he is a guy who, who he teaches without trying to teach. And, and I've always, that's been our relationship. I mean, we're identical twins and spend a lot of time together, but he's always been a guy that teaches without trying to teach, uh, just teaches by doing most of the time. But I, that's what strikes me. There are a ton of differences between Coach Bob Segerson and Coach Dick Heath, your two primary mentors. But the one thing that seems to me that they would have in common is I, I can't see either one of them ever saying to you, sit down and listen for a second when you're a coach, you're going to need this. But at the same time, I could see them teaching those lessons through what they do and how they do it. Um, almost without even realizing that's what's going on. And, and, and the, the, the good fortune of being in that position has to be something you're thankful for. Exactly. I was, I, and yeah, I, this is one of the words that your brother said, be a sponge every day, be a sponge, just absorb everything he does and says good or bad. It doesn't matter. You're going to have to develop your own coaching philosophy. So just take it in. And, and that was something that I did. And I wrote things down. I mean, I had stacks and I still have stacks upon stacks of stuff from that season and everything. And I still use some of the paperwork and some of the quotes. You know, this is 19 years ago that I still use in our program today because that's how big of an influence uh, Coach Heath had on me. I could have gone all day without realizing that was almost 20 years ago, Matt. Thanks. I appreciate, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, but we, we got about seven or eight minutes here before we have to take our break. So talk with me about your decision then to ultimately leave Lima Senior and you had a, another assistant coaching stop or two uh, along the way um, that would, I, I guess I would be putting it mildly to say they were a little different than Lima Senior. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, when Coach Heath decided to leave, um, I actually, your, your your brother moved on as well. 
and um, I was the lone guy standing. And they hired um, Coach Mark Gaffney. He was an assistant coach, or he was actually a head coach in the Cincinnati area, but he had been an assistant coach at Xavier for three or four years. And so um, when they hired, everyone would throw in the thrown the rumors out that I might, because Coach Heath left so late in the summer, that I might be an interim coach. And there was that there was no truth to that. That was when social media just started going in that JJ huddle, and I saw my name tossed out there so many times, and I was like, "No way, I am not ready for this." <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I had told Doc uh, Doc Offen Baker, the athletic director, whoever they hire, I would be interested in interviewing for a position, and, and they hired Mark Gaffney, and it was late. I mean, it was right before school started, and he asked me if I was on board, and and I decided to stay, and. We actually had a, a, a young freshman coming in. I said he was going to be pretty good. Uh, his name had been tossed around a little bit. We had Brian Andrews coming back, and he was going to play football at Wake Forest. And there was a skinny little, feisty little kid named Travis Walton that was a freshman. And um, he was like, he's going to be a starter. I was like, well, Coach, I don't know if he's that good. And he goes, no, this guy's going to go to Duke before I leave. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's just what Gaffney had that East Coast. Uh, shockiness about him and he said he's going to make him a Duke basketball player before he leaves and um, and we actually made it a district final that year and got beat by um, Mansfield Senior who had a guy that went on and walked on and ended up having a nice playing career at Pittsburgh and his name is slipped my mind Graves Danny, um, yeah I think Graves I, I can see who you're talking about I can't think of the name either but I can see the player you're talking about because he he wasn't expected to have a very good career and he had a very good one yeah, he really did. And they started on as like a walk-on, but he was, uh, Mansfield Sr. was tough. And then, and they had been a thorn in Lyman Sr.'s side for a long time. And so we got beat in the district finals, and then we came back Travis's sophomore year, and I ended up being varsity assistant, didn't coach JV. And um, we got beat. We had probably seven wins. It was it was, it was was disastrous season. We got beat by Finley in the first game of the tournament. And um, it was just one of those things where I think Gaff, Coach Gaffney and I had just worn out with each other, and it was time for us to move on. And I had looked at some head coaching positions and got no bites, and so I just pretty much resigned my position, not knowing where I was going to go. And that was the first time that I was kind of uncertain where I was going to go. And um, fortunately, um, I had a good friend in Doug Foley, who I taught with at St. Charles, said, why don't you come be my JV coach out at Waynesfield Goshen? And boy, that's a culture shock when you go from Lima Senior to Waynesfield. <laughs> and just, just because you go from Division One to Four, I'm not just saying Lima Senior to Waynesfield, which there is still a big gap, but Division One, Division Four, wow, it just, it, it opened my eyes a little bit. But again, it was another opportunity to mold myself into a coach and coach a different type of kid. I've taught the private school kid, I taught the inner city kid, and now I'm going to go out and, you know, coach the country kid so it, it was an opportunity that he gave me and then I was the JV coach for two years and then became his varsity assistant for one year and interviewed for probably three or four jobs and still no bites until um uh, the, the summer of 07 when uh, I applied at Perry well two things you just said that, that stand out to me one is Doug Foley's a really really good man and, uh, you know, regardless of what kind of coach he was or is or, or style of any, just that's a good man to be around and spend time with. And, and, and I think that uh, it, that's almost not debatable in my sight. But you said something else that I think is, is important, for, especially for young coaches. Uh, opportunity is opportunity. It's everywhere. And if you don't look at every 
possible avenue as a legitimate opportunity to develop as a coach, you're probably going to cheat yourself. You're probably going to rob yourself of some real growth opportunities. And maybe I feel that way because I've moved a lot or because some of my opportunities came in in not very glamorous places or not not places where maybe weren't success wasn't very likely even. But I think what you said about it was another opportunity to develop yourself as a coach is critically important for people to grasp that are thinking about coaching as a profession. Because if you're at Lima Senior and having the success you guys had and you end up at Waynesfield Goshen, it is a step down from Division One to Division Four. It's a step down from high level competition to a little bit lower level competition, even in terms of uh, within the area, small, small, small division four rural school, but you treated it right, like a great learning opportunity. And and I just think that's valuable. And I hope that anybody that listens to this understands that whatever your chosen field is, don't turn your nose up at opportunity, particularly when you're trying to grow and trying to get better. I think it's valuable. And, and obviously it was for you. So um, we're a little bit ahead. I'll go ahead and take our break now. But when we come back, I want to talk about that pursuit of the Perry job being hired there and then get into your time at Perry and talk a little bit of specifics about your programs. That sound all right? That sounds great. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. Again, my guest today is Matt Tabler. Matt is the head boys basketball coach at Lima Perry High School. And our walk through his coaching journey had gotten us to the point where uh, he had had a couple of stops as an assistant. Um, again, to, to reiterate, the opportunity to play under a coach like Bob Segerson, to work for a coach like Dick Heath, uh, also experience working for, for Mark Gaffney, a, a younger coach with, with college experience and a different philosophy, uh, and then to spend time at Waynesfield Goshen High School under Doug Foley and work with a much, much smaller program in terms of student body size and Division Four versus Division One, much more rural school. All of those things together, Matt, put you in a position where when it was time to pursue uh, head coaching opportunities again, were you looking for something specific that leaned one way or the other? Um, well, the big thing was obviously when you're when you're in the teaching field, you want to make sure that they have the teaching position that that goes along with the coaching because it's very hard to coach a team if you're, if you're not in, in the building and it's, it's done, it's been done before, obviously. I just think it makes it more difficult not being with the kids on a day-to-day basis. So that was, that was a very big important thing to me is did they have my field and could I um, teach and coach? So um, there was, two other schools that summer that I actually interviewed for and uh, they both had my teaching position open as well. So um, when the Perry job came open, obviously uh, born and raised in Lima, Ohio, um, the other two were a little further away. This was, that was kind of exciting to me. Um, And actually um, it ended up being, I, I think there were over 30 applicants for the job. Um, so that was kind of crazy in itself. And, um, there was a guy by the name of Dave West, obviously people in this area know who's Dave West is, uh, Dave, um, was a, is a hall of famer in the referee world. And, uh, he was a big Lima Perry guy, graduated from Perry high school and was on the school board for 24 years. And he said, we got to give Taylor this interview. We got to give him a chance. And this was obviously later down the road when I talked to him about this and, he was really pushing for me. And I said, why? What, what? And he goes, just, he goes, you don't know when you make an impression on someone. He goes, I used to referee your basketball, high school games, umpire baseball games. 
And he goes, and I, I knew you as just a competitor, but then when you became a coach and, and I watched you on the sidelines at Lima Senior, when we did the Lima Senior guys games, you just were the person that I felt like could run a program. Just by the way, the things that you said, what you did, how you acted towards the kids. So he goes, you just never know when someone's looking, you know, and I try to use that message with our kids all the time. You know, always put your A game out there because you never know who's looking because it's not it's not always what you know it's obviously who you know and and the impressions that you can put on people so um you know he gave me that opportunity i think they had five people uh interview for that job and um uh, i got down to the final two and i was down with a, a guy that had two sons on the basketball team. He had twins by the name of Brandon and Cody Riepenhoff. And it was Chuck Riepenhoff, and he owned his own concrete business. And he was a Perry grad, but he, he obviously didn't teach in the building. And they kind of wanted to fill two roles, probably, if they could do uh, the teaching position and basketball position. So I ended up getting the position, and I talked with him immediately after and asked him if he'd be my varsity assistant, just knowing that he knows the day-to-day operations. So started to form a coaching staff that point after being hired um but again just the process of interviewing um perry was very professional you know you're interviewing in front of six seven guys six seven people sorry and um i think prepared i think um you know eight years as an assistant um the the other job interviews that i had before that prior to that um kind of had me and i I was ready, and so I really prepared myself, and I probably didn't prepare myself the best in the other interviews, but I really prepared myself for this one, and uh, I was ready to go get that position, and fortunately, I got it. So you get hired, and you're in there, and you, you, I mean, I've had this conversation with multiple guests. I mean, everybody that goes into coaching, generally speaking, it's not a hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, everybody that goes into coaching goes into coaching wanting to be a head coach. And at some point you are given a job and the reality is, oh, hell, I have to make all the decisions now. (laughs) I have to know our offense. I have to know our defense. I'm not just making suggestions. I'm not just taking notes off somebody else's stuff. Talk about the way that you came to having a an identified philosophy or style of play at at the defensive end, offensive end. Uh, You know, how, how did you know what you wanted to do? Did you. Did you take bits and pieces from all of your stops or were you pretty convinced that, you know, I've seen a lot of things and this is the one style that fits me best? You know, that, that's, that, that was really tough because um, it, it was going to be probably all where I got the land of the job on how I would coach. I've seen so many styles from so many coaches that I felt like I could adapt to anything. And obviously, when I took the Perry job, I obviously knew what I was going to do because I knew we were going to be athletic. So obviously, I had to go back to the days of when I was at Lima Senior, and I had to put a lot of that stuff in. So that's a big combination of Mark Gaffney and, and Dick Heath. And, and obviously, the defensive end is all, all, all Coach Heath. And I mean, going because when you play full court defense everyone's like, oh they just know there's a system to it and how you pick your men up and how you break the um, court into um, quadrants all the way down the court and how you're supposed to be turning them and stuff like that it's just not you just don't pick them up full court and that's what a lot of people see so um coach he gave me all that insight and and still use a lot of that stuff and then as far as the offensive end you know we wanted to push the basketball and kind of got um it really wasn't that popular 
back in 07. And I heard some flack from the crowd, but we ran a sideline fast break. That's just what we did. They were still getting the ball to the middle back then. And it's just not something. And I learned that from Gaffney. And that was more the college level thing, you know, and, and a lot of screen and rolls. And we still use screen and rolls where we're trying to get the best, um, you know, one on one matchups for our quick athletic people that we had so those were kind of the things that kind of molded and and obviously when you've been in a position for 13 years all that stuff starts to evolve and you tweak things and new coaches come in with ideas and stuff like that so and and that's one big thing that I found out was I really appreciated the coaches that listened to my input and used my input you know, that always made me feel like, man, I'm a part of this. So I've always told our players and I've told our coaches, there's not one coach better than any other coach here. If if there's a coach with a great idea, I give them the clipboard at the timeout. And I've done that since day one. And I let them draw something up. I, I'm, I'm not one of those. Um, you know, I know obviously the final decision has to be made by me because everything falls on the head coach's shoulders. But at the same time, when coaches feel invested um, they, they will give you much more and they'll be that much more willing to help you any way they can. So kind of, um, I don't know how I got kind of off that tangent, but, um, you know, it was just, I, I like that. I, I like that. I have coaches, um, you know, I got two coaches on staff that really want to be a head coach, you know, and I've heard some of your podcasts where they're like, yeah, I'm looking for guys that are going to be on my bench for 30 years. I don't want that. I want just the opposite. I want guys that, want to be a head coach I want guys that come hungry every day hungry in the offseason because they're trying to get their ultimate prize because they know if our team can succeed then then they have a better chance of getting an opportunity to coach so um, those are the guys I want so our job turnover is like crazy over at Perry I've had probably nine JV coaches in my 13 years and, um, you know, they're, they're just moving and, and they don't even necessarily move to be a head basketball coach from our program, but they just move to a different coaching position somewhere else because, again, they're looking for that ultimate drive. So um, what coaches like that, that that come hungry? And obviously I had that with uh, Coach Powell. And then I got two young guys right now that are looking to be head coaches. So they come hungry every day. And that, that's that's what excites me is when all the coaches um, feel invested um, in. So. Well, talk about and, – and you said a lot of turnover in your assistant coaching staff. And Sean Powell was your assistant for, for a number of years. And I'm going to have uh, Coach Powell on uh, for a podcast very soon and, and talk about his journey as well. But with turnover within your staff, then I think that – re-emphasizes or puts more of a focus on the importance of stability in your role. And 13 years at Perry, uh, Matt, Perry wasn't really known for stability in the head coaching ranks historically. Uh, You know, I mean, Mark Jarvis spent some time there and his JV coach uh, took over for him. And and, and so they had a, a little bit of stability there, but there's been a lot of change in the last 20, 25, 30 years at Perry High School. You've been there 13 years uh, the, the vision for the program starts with you, regardless of whether or not you, you replace assistance, which you do. But talk about when it was, I mean, you go to take a job like Perry. Uh, anybody who's a head coach, Matt, has a vision for, for winning a state title. That, that, that's what your vision should. If it's not, it's what it should be. But when, when did you start to, to put together the program, develop the ideas, the building blocks that you thought might get your program to that state championship level? When did you feel like you had the athletes and you had the potential and what you were doing was aiming toward that goal? 
Well, the first thing you're going to need is consistency. And like you said, the job turnover at Perry is crazy because the longest tenured coach was Mike Minnick before me, and he coached for seven years. And now I'm in my 13th year. And I think that was also a major concern by the school board because they asked me on multiple occasions, well, what happens if the Lima, what if Bob Sayerson leaves Lima Central Catholic? Are you going to go apply for that job? Or, and so they wanted some consistency too. And I said, you know, I wanted to put my stamp on this program. So if you commit to me, I'll commit to you. And, and I've tried to keep my promise there. And I have for 13 years. And then now it's at this point, it's like your 13 year old son. You know, you've watched it grow up from day one. And, and so, you know, after being an assistant for eight years, you think you had all the answers. So I remember preparing for that first game thinking, okay, I got everything in place. So I'm good to go. And it was disastrous. And I had never questioned being a head coach so much in my life after our first game. And it was one game, one game, and I'm coached over 400 now, 300, whatever it is. And I thought, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. And again, it was my mom and dad that grounded me and, you know, basically said, that's one game. You have to have confidence in what you do. So it's it just been a work over years. And the really, I think the biggest hump was um, it would probably have been the 2013-14 season. And uh, we had 19 wins. And uh, we got beat in a sectional championship game on a last-second shot by Arlington, which that shouldn't have counted. Hindsight, shouldn't have counted. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm not even going to get into that. But <laughs> at that point, because that was one of the hardest decisions because we had won 18 games in the regular season and um, the night of senior night, I had four seniors go out and make a poor choice. And I had to make the decision because I could have swept it under the rug because not too many people knew about it. And that was a decision that I had to make that I knew that we weren't, because we really thought we had a regional team. We, we just did. And, and Arlington ended up going on and beating Spencerville in the next game and played Marion local at one point, you know. And, and so it was um, probably one of the toughest decisions, but I suspended those four seniors. And so I had to play three freshmen. And uh, we beat Ridgemont in the sectional semis over at Kenton. And Bruce Hodges was a senior. Jared Poling was a junior. And uh, we got and played Arlington, who was very well coached always by Coach Vermillion. And, and uh, we just let one slip away. They hit a shot at the buzzer um, and went to overtime and got beaten overtime. But I had three freshmen playing in that that played JV basketball all year. Well, two of them did. Jacoby was a freshman, and he played for us. Um, half the games um, but I had two other freshmen that played JV basketball all season and they had to play varsity basketball in two tournament games and um, when I made that decision I felt like I stuck true to what our team handbook said I stuck true to the commitment that I made to this program and I tell the kids not one kid is any bigger than any other kid in this program and I had to make that tough decision, but that kind of propelled us because um, the following year we make it to a district and get beat by a very good Spencerville team. And then the freshman's junior year, then well, we make it to a, um, 
the district final. And Perry's only, you know, Perry made a lot of districts. I think they have probably 20 sectional titles, but they've only been to the district finals three times before the 15-16 season. And um, we had to play St. Henry, who we were 2-22 and versus in all time against St. Henry. Um, and uh, playing over at Walpock, um, uh, man, I got goosebumps on the back of my neck right now. Just the hairs are sticking up. It's unbelievable to see the Perry community and everybody that was backing the Perry community. And for us to beat St. Henry and make our first regional um, was just the biggest thrill in the world. Um, just, I, it, it's unexplainable because, you know, you say as a head coach, every head coach's dream is to win a state title. You know, mine, mine obviously is, but did I ever think that it would happen at Perry, like to even make a regional, um, you know, cause that was like our state title because we'd just never been there. So to win that district championship was unbelievable. And, um, and it was probably a decision, one of the toughest decisions that probably outed us two years prior to that earlier than we wanted. So you had to stick true to what, what you were doing. Matt, so that's I, th what we did. I think that's a great point. And I always get texts from coaches that say, I get one nugget here or there from every podcast you do. And the, the nugget out of this one to me, hands down, regardless of what we say from this point forward is, it isn't always the X's and O's. It isn't always the player development that, that establishes your program as a championship level program. Sometimes it's the off the court stuff and, and making sure that you hold guys to a line. Uh, that's a huge, huge lesson. And I'll go ahead and tell you that since you won 19 games in that, in that uh, 2013, 2014 year, uh, just go ahead and give yourself 20 wins. Cause you beat our ass so bad. You can have credit for two. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. Hey, you know, going back to that, when I had suspended for kids, yeah. it's a great story. Um, we had our veterans come back, and our um, government teacher, she's the one that gets all the veterans, and um, or currently serving, and um, one of the kids that I had to kick off the team, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and he gave me the biggest hug. And he goes, thanks, coach. That's, That's awesome. all he said. Thanks, coach. That's awesome. So, you know, that, that. Now I got chills, Matt. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was like, that was, that was, that was awesome, you know. And actually the other two, they've come back to open gyms. I told them, you know, I know Will Will told you. I just had to make a decision, you know. Well, I'll share with you a quick story about that 2013-14 year when I was coaching at Allen East, obviously, for, for people that don't know. So we're, we're playing at your place, and we're not very good, number one. Number two, there's just styles make fights, and the way you guys played and the way we needed to play, it was just a very, very bad match for us, and and, and it got away from us early. And, and Jacob Sherrick was a junior on that team. Jacob's coaching at Marion Local now, and I think Jacob's yep. going to be a really good coach, and, and, and oh, I, think, yes. I think he's going to be outstanding. But he was a guy I kind of leaned on as a junior player because he just understood things that, that a lot of kids didn't because they just didn't have that basketball IQ and so we broke the huddle about our third time out in the first half and and I just I'm saying what I'm saying I don't even remember honestly what it was but we literally broke the huddle and I looked at Jake and I said am I missing something here is there something I need to say that I'm not and he just looked at me and sat down oh well shit <laughs> so so I sat down and the ball goes up and down about two more times and I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turn my head to the right and he said there's nothing coach we just got to get better 
<laughs> so uh, that was a, a great year for you guys to end tragically the way it did, but obviously to set yourselves up for what came later. And so just in the time that we have left here, I just want to talk about your state run. I want to hear you talk about getting uh, to that point and, and some of the things that because of your past, uh, what it meant to you to get this program to that level. Well, obviously we had high expectations because I remember back when we played in 15-16, uh, we were playing a district semifinal game and I'm just watching um, WOSN and listening to reporters and they were like, you know, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Can Perry beat a Mac school? And you got a 15 and six or whatever um, Minster was in the district semis. And uh, we just, we kicked their butts. We blew by 15. And it was like, they were questioning that we could we do that. And then we turned around and beat St. Henry. Well, now the S was kind of put on our back because we're returning five starters from the previous years going in and so now everything gets a little tighter everything gets just a little tighter because the x is on your back we had no expectations of making a regional this was the year that we were supposed to make a regional we were supposed to make a state final four run so that makes it harder as a player and as a coach but you have to as a coach you know just make sure that you're detailed like you've always been and keep the kids calm because they're going to see how you react. And, and I'm a very, very type A personality and I'm a very emotional person. And there was a lot of coaching. I mean, I had family telling me, you know, just your gestures, you know, the way you stand, everything. I had coaches. I would have coaches just tug on my shirt when I got too, you know, excited. And so I needed to be that calm through any kind of storm. And so we got back to another, uh, we had a fantastic season. We lost only three games. They were in the middle of the season against three WBL schools. And we were on a 13 game winning streak. And we were, what I felt was we were playing our best basketball. And um, <clears throat> when you have seniors like that, you know, you don't have to worry about them getting tired. You know, you start as the season wears on you, when you get into the fourth month, fifth month, teams that don't have experience start to get tired and our kids were just getting their legs under them and they were stronger than ever. And, and I had a lot of confidence. So, you know, we, um, we win the district semifinal or district semifinal game and get to a district final. And here we are again. Um, can, can they beat a max school again? And this would be our fourth max school we've beaten two years in the tournament and we played Fort recovery. And at the end of the third quarter, we're now nine points. And I remember telling myself, how am I going to address these seniors? How am I? And I just told myself as the fourth quarter um, hit. And it was one of those just the it was the gym was electric. And we just they came out in some um, goofy defense that we just never seen. And we see a lot of goofy defenses. We don't see much man to man. And um, it was just something. And and um, I remember Coach Powell, Lena Nurse says, we're going to win this. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was Coach Powell. And, and Coach Lane was right there, and he goes, no doubt. And, and that, those are the coaches I need, you know, to do that positive. And we came out on an 11-0 run in the fourth quarter and um, ended up winning the game by five or seven points and and, and got to a regional. And um, came in on Saturday and prepared, as always, um, for the next opponent on Tuesday, which was going to be Fort Laramie. And, um practice Saturday afternoon and came in with some shooting on Sunday and then 
Monday hit and uh, uh, we had practice and got all prepared for Fort Laramie. And I remember telling the kids, hey, we're getting this weird snowstorm here in the middle of March. Just be careful. Roads are going to be slick. Well, meanwhile, I had kept the team after a little bit because I just didn't like our prep and what we were doing. Well, coach had to be coach lane had to be home by five so that he could take over and watch his son while his wife went to work. And, um, I pulled him in the office. He's like, I gotta go. I gotta go. So he obviously rushed out of there and was rushing home. And I, I was driving about 10 minutes later and all these squad cars passed me and everything. And I was like, that's weird. And the road was blocked off. Well, meanwhile, coach lane had forgot his passes. So I went and dropped him off at the house and his wife was like, well, where's Herb? And I was like, I knew right then. I just knew something wasn't right. And so um, I said, Jen, I don't, I don't mean to alarm you, but there was a terrible accident. And just for some reason, I felt like Herb was in it. So I went back to the accident site. They wouldn't let me there. So I drove to um, Memorial and there was nobody there. And um, Jen had called me and said, Herb had passed away, come to St. Rita's. And uh, Herb became, you know, Herb was our girls basketball coach and then became our football coach. And I'd ask him, I said, do you think you'd ever want to just make the leap and not be another two head coaches and and, and two sports and, and just be my assistant and be the head football coach? And he goes, I never thought you'd ask. And we became good friends over the two years. And, um, you know, that was tough because in the 15, 16 season, 16 season, I lost my best friend to a massive heart attack um, at 42 years old. And then to um, lose Coach Lane so tragically like that at 43 years old, it was just uh, devastating. And I just remember not sleeping that night. Media called me left and right. Um, and we had to make a decision. And all, all the boys, they ended up going to Jacoby's house and sleeping over. And that's the kind of senior leaders I had. And they had no choice. They were all going to Jacoby's, and they were all going to get a good night's rest. And that's what the seniors did. And uh, they got the whole team there, and they talked about it. And so we had to meet Tuesday morning, and, and, and um, Snodgrass had said that we could move it to Wednesday. We'd have to play it at Vandalia Butler. Fort Army was good for it. Um, but we decided, um, and the team had already said they had made up their minds and they already had their team meeting, they're playing and they're going to play for him. And so we decided to play and, uh, that was a very emotional game. Um, um, we had got beat in that regional semi the year prior to that, and we weren't going to lose that game. And we got up to 15 or 17 points and they hit a basket at the end, uh, lose by, you know, they lost by one point. But um, just a deep breath of getting to a regional final, um, going through what we've – because you don't have time to think. You don't have time to think. There's just no time to think um, with everything that was going on. And um, just the support system from the coaches, the players, to the players' parents, those players' parents, those probably were the best parents that I've ever had to work with um, in terms of a collective group and the support. I mean, through all in all, not just that tragic moment. Well, so, Matt, Matt I, I, I would say this. That I guess the first thing I would say, uh, just strictly from the outside looking in, and I was fortunate enough to call your regional final game on, on radio, um, there's, there's very few coaches, if any, uh, at high school, college, or any level that will have to face uh, – 
a challenge like playing a game of that magnitude in the face of a tragedy like that. It just it didn't seem fair at the time that you would even have to make that decision. And we could talk a lot about how your staff handled it or how you handle it with your kids, but I can't get over the fortitude of those young men uh, when they took the floor that night. I, I just couldn't, I, I still can't. I mean, it was, it's so fresh in my mind to think about their, their togetherness on the floor in the face of that and their ability to, uh, to put forth the effort that they did, not, not in, in the face of, of losing Coach Lane, but largely because they lost Coach Lane. I mean, they were literally playing the game with that as their motivation. And that's cliche to say, and it sounds canned and easy, but what they did wasn't easy. And they, did it, they didn't just do it for eight minutes, or they didn't just do it right after tip. They did it for 32 full minutes, Matt. Yeah. Uh, they they just they, and, and there's no there's no playbook there's no script for that people don't write scripts for the, the, that that kind of tragic loss and that just comes with character and what kind of character those kids had and and um, I respect them so much I love I love those group of boys like I love every senior that's ever played for me um, but that group just has a special place in my heart because we went through so much in such a short amount of time. So you get Perry High School to the state tournament, which, again, we're going to have listeners that aren't from this area that don't understand the significance of that. Um, but to the to the people here around Northwest Ohio, um, th- there's two things about Perry getting to the, to the state tournament that stand out to me. One is we've talked about the, the lack of stability in the Perry basketball program historically. They've always had pretty good athletes. They've even had some really, really good coaches, but they just lack the stability to maintain that kind of success. I mean, uh, they've had guys that were really good college players. Uh, Clay Tucker played there in the mid nineties and, and, and played overseas professionally for 17 or 18 years. And they've never, it's not that they've lacked talent or ability, but just, I, I think what you said was having that question of, can we do it at Perry? I think that there was a general feeling around here that that just probably wasn't a likely accomplishment at Perry. Then the second part of that for you that you have to deal with year in and year out is the idea that Perry plays in a in a small school league that doesn't night in night out offer the kind of competition that can be offered in other leagues, and so it won't have them prepared for the tournament. So you overcame both of those hurdles in getting that done. And I guess where I would like to kind of shift our conversation uh, is once it's happened, it's it's got to feel like a realistic goal now going forward for your program to make it happen again. Correct? It has to be. Um... They've set the bar. We told that after we were unfortunately, you know, lose to the Wellington School in the state semis that you set a bar. I mean, you set a bar that it is achievable for a Perry school to make a state final four. And, you know, we were the last public school standing in the state that year. And um, we we were proud of that fact. Um, but obviously our, our goal was not to make it to the final four. At that point, it was to win the state final four. And uh, we didn't, but they set the bar. And so for the next kids to come, and they set a bar where our schedules changed drastically. We had Elida for this year, so we play Elida, Shawnee, Bath, um, LCC, uh, Wapak, Bakken's, Fort Laramie. Our schedule is, you know, up there. It, it is tough. and But it was that 17 class that set the bar where it has. And, and, you know, just two years ago, we won 19 games and got beat in a district semi 
And um, no one expected that. And so, um, again, it's nice to win 19 games. It's nice to win your league. But at this point, our bar has been set higher. So we obviously have our sights set a lot higher than just a um, sectional championship or a league title. And I think us preparing ourselves with the schedule that we have now will obviously benefit us. Well, you, you may or may not make that return trip to Columbus in your coaching career. You, you and I both know really good coaches that never got there. You've been there. You have a goal to get back. And, and you may get back or you may not. But talk with me, if you would, about now that you have been there, uh, other than – and, again, this is going to – I have a hard time even asking this question – Setting aside what you guys experienced in losing Coach Lane, uh, you, you carried a lot of other emotions in that trip to Columbus. Talk about what what feelings you had, what people you thought about, what 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 that trip to the state final four brought to mind for you as you're experiencing it. I, again, setting aside the obvious emotions that that went along with 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 this situation with Coach Lane, but talk about the other things that were a part of what I have to imagine was nearly over overwhelming emotion at that point. Exactly. And it, it's a flash. It goes so quick. And fortunately I agreed. And I don't know if you've ever checked it out. Um, it's on YouTube. It's called Commodore Lane. Have you heard of I, that? I, I've, I've heard it and I've heard about it. I've never watched it, but I have heard about it. It's actually gotten a lot of really great reviews from the people that have told me about it. Yeah. And it's about an hour and 15 minute documentary on our team. They go behind the scenes they're in the locker room. Um, so that's something that's on YouTube. If anyone ever wants to check that out, it's a quick hour, 15-minute thing. It's kind of the ups and downs that we went through, and um, it captures everything. But obviously, yes, it's a very emotional time. The first person I obviously thought about was my father, who passed away in 2011. Because um, he was on my bench, and um, he you know, got pancreatic cancer, died within six months, and so one season he's on the bench and at the beginning of the next season he isn't all of a sudden. And so that was obviously high emotion. And then obviously all the hard work you put into it and all the kids that came before these kids, because they all had a piece of us getting there. We all had to um, you know, have the building blocks to get there. And there were sacrifices that kids had to go through to get there. So I thought of all the kids and then I thought of the community Um something that I got to fortunately experience three times when I was in high school, you know, and if you've never been to a state final four as part of a community, you just don't know what you're missing. Amen to that. Unbelievable thing in the world. Um, they back you like crazy. That's why you love to go down there. And when you, you see the communities um, that bring everybody and especially those first timers, those first timers in their experience and, and everyone has to experience it the first time. And obviously that was me in 1989 as a fan. I was like, this is unbelievable. So, um, you know, just a lot of emotion. And then obviously, um, another guy that played a big part in it and didn't talk much about him was, um, our high school principal for 13 years. who just passed away this past October of stomach cancer. He was, he was another guy that was rock solid for me always had my back and allowed me to do my job the way I wanted to do my job, but always had my back because he knew bottom line that we were both looking out for the Perry kids. And so um, he was right down there when we uh, made the state final four. And so, yeah, a lot of emotion. um, But again, all the hard work, all the practices, um, all the coaches, all the players, 
um, it just felt good um, to get somewhere that someone's never been. And I, I would imagine, Matt, that the feedback you get from your your not only the colleagues in your profession, because I think that's one thing that, that that happens really well in Northwest Ohio is is coaches support coaches extremely well after trying like hell to beat one another all season long. Uh, I think they're very supportive, but you also have some significant mentors that have an opportunity maybe uh, to weigh in and witness your success. That had to mean a lot. Exactly. And, and one of those that we talked about earlier in the podcast here is Coach Heap and, and how many times he made a regional championship game and um, never got to the state final four. And um, right when the fans were allowed to come in, which is an hour before the game, when the guys are just shooting around and as coaches, you've done all what you can do. You're just sitting on the bench, looking at the crowd, having fun. Uh, Coach Heath and his wife, Mary, were down in the first row. And he came sprinting across and gave me the biggest hug. Said, I'm so proud of you, coach. I'm so proud of you. And I said, well, I wouldn't be here if you never gave me that opportunity. And he goes, well, you deserve it. So I felt like he should have been on the bench with me at that point. And like you said, there was a lot of support. I remember Coach Thompson, who had just been in the state final four a couple years prior to that, calling me. And, and, and obviously, Coach Elwer and I were in touch because we were one game away from possibly playing each other in the state championship game. And Obviously, Seg came in and talked to our kids before the state final four and him coaching in six of them. And, and another guy who's one of my best friends, Coach Kill, Coach Frank Kill, um, you know, he was helping me all the way down to room assignments. And how did I assign kids? And he gave me the LCC itinerary for the state tournament because, again, this was foreign to me. I didn't know what to expect or what to do. So um, there was just a lot of support. Um, across the board, like you said, we all try to beat each other. But then when we get to the final four or get far in the tournament, we're all rooting for each other. And and so now you you, you fast forward to where we are today. And you know we've gone a little long on the podcast, and I'm okay with that. Um, just want to touch base on kind of where your where your program is now as we start to try to come out of this pandemic quarantine situation and recover from it. And, and we're, how how do you feel like it's impacted your program and how do you feel about your plan for trying to get back in touch with your guys and get them moving uh, in a direction that'll, that'll hopefully point toward a season next year? Well, we were really excited. We won 17 games last year and got beaten a sectional championship game by Minster, but we only lost uh, two players from that team. So um, a majority, we, we started uh, four sophomores the entire season and then we had two more sophomores come off the bench. So we were pretty young. Um, and we had 17 wins with a tough schedule. And so we were kind of excited to get back in the gym and then all of this hits and it's been crazy. So we had to shut it down for three months, but now we're back at it and we're, um, obviously just, uh, developing, you know, um, individual stuff, shooting, um, working on ball handling, um, and just really focused on that right now. Um, they just, uh, just yesterday announced that here in a week we can start actually having open gyms amongst our teammates so that's going to be good um but it's kind of like this it's never happened so we don't know you know if you don't play all summer we only play the month of june competitively and then we're such a small school i turn everyone over to football in july so june's really the only time we ever worked and we would probably go play about 30 games well we're not getting those 30 games will those 30 games affect us Probably not. Um, we just probably won't do anything in July when people are because I'm not going to be selfish and take the football players away 
when the football team's trying to prepare for a first game in about six weeks when all that hits. So um, we're just going to um, keep developing the kids that don't play basketball or play football. And um, obviously August is not a dead period this year, so we can continually shoot through August. And hopefully we we have some good shooters, you know. Um, but just playing competitively, they'll hopefully go up to the Y or, or, or find a playground um, to play at. Um, and, and I have a pretty driven sophomore to be junior class that I'm sure they will. Well, you you know what's coming because you listen to the podcast from time to time. And since your school is close to where I live, I'm just going to visit when you get practice started in the fall. And I, I want a Perry basketball T-shirt. Uh, I'm a large. A large, correct. Yep, yep, large. Yeah, that's correct. I'm a large as long as quarantine ends relatively soon. If it doesn't, I will be an extra large before you see me. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, definitely looking forward to seeing your squad in the fall. Obviously, you know, hell, my son's going to play against you this year, all, all things uh, being equal and expecting things to be somewhat normal. We'll, we'll, we'll see you once the season starts. But uh, without coaching this year, I'm going to be looking to get into some practices and, and watch some guys do their thing. And, and I'm hoping maybe you'll agree to sit down and do another podcast down the road when we get a little closer to the season or maybe in season. If we can squeeze out an hour, I'd like to actually talk, talk some legit basketball with you. That would be great, and um, tell your son we're going to have a guy following him all around. He's not going to get any of his three-pointers up against us this year. He doesn't go anywhere besides the corner, Matt. You just have to you just have to stick to him in the corner. If you leave him open in the corner, there's a chance he'll make it. But uh, He's a deadly shooter, I'll tell you that. So we'll have a mark on him. He'll appreciate hearing that. Listen, you take care of yourself. I'm so glad you agreed to do this, and, and I wasn't kidding. We'll, we'll do another one when the season gets closer. Okay, fantastic. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun, Cookie, and you're doing an awesome job, and hopefully it keeps moving forward. Appreciate it. Take care, brother. All right. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.